Another massive week on Inside the Ropes. A couple of US Open previews. We go live to New York to chat with Scott Hend and Lucas Michel. Plus, we wrap up a spectacular ANA inspiration with Mikey Patterson. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes, episode number 181. Another huge week in the world of golf. We've had a major played last weekend. We've got another one to look forward to this weekend. We're going to be joined by a couple of the Australians who will be turning it up at Wingfoot. Scotty Hendon, Lucas Michel will be joining us. We'll turn our attention back on what uh, what a week it's been. There's a heap to get through, as, as is always the case. Wouldn't be, um, wouldn't be the show if it wasn't for... Mark Hayes, who joins us on episode 181. Hello, Hazy. Hello, Murray. What a what a, an unusually hectic time of the golfing calendar we're enjoying right now. Yeah, oh, it's crazy. And we've got a show that will um, we'll replicate that. It's a bit of a pizza with a lot here today. You've caught up with Scotty Hen. We've spoken to Lucas Michelle. You and Stacey have caught up with Mikey Patterson, who caddied for Gabby Ruffle. So there's a heap of stuff to get through on the show. Um, there's things going on everywhere, on and off the course. Um, obviously, you'll you'll dive into you know Ruffles' amazing performance, and we'll have a chat about the Australian contingent a bit later on. But the ANA's been run and won, uh, spectacular finish. And again, we'll talk about this at a bit more length later on in the show. But spectacular finish, had lace with a tinge of controversy, if you if you will. Um, There's very rarely these days a major championship for the women or the men that doesn't have some sort of subtext attached to it these days. That's true, but you wouldn't have thought it was, you know, a 50-metre stretch of tarpaulin, would you, in this? You wouldn't (laughs) put that as being a big ticket item. Here we go. It's just, I'm sure, I'll be interested to get your thoughts on the the, the blue wall, the big monster behind the 18th green at ANA, Rancho Mirage, but... Yeah, these stories can bob up and get you anywhere, Andy, and I'm certain, without any fear here, that we're going to see stories about the monster that is winged foot this week. Um, for me, um, I'm wrapped that we... This is one of the courses that Clates always talks about when he says the great championship courses, or the great courses in the United States mm. aren't often the championship courses, this one is. It, it's um, you know it's famous for a lot of reasons. It's a Tillinghast special. Um, it's uh, it's it's a brutal monster that was hard enough in 2006. It's been stretched out here. Um, they've been apparently watering it so that it doesn't feel the effects of the summer because normally it would be played three or four months earlier, of course. Um, so it's a little bit tacky even, uh, which makes the rough apparently extremely hard to play out of. And there's nothing surer than we're going to get someone guts aching about the, the course set up and the USGA and all that sort of stuff by the end of this week. So, uh, you know, batten down the hatches, we're going to go again. Well, we I'm, I should know this off the top of my head. We haven't had one there since Jeff Ogilvie won, have we? This is the first time we've been back there for a US Open since. And we saw the calamities that the course invited um, or, or, or seduced players into making uh, late on that Sunday afternoon. It was, a, it was a last man standing affair, really. It was just one of those courses that there's no let up. And Blake, Martin Blake, our great mate here at Inside the Ropes, of course, senior golf writer at golf.org.au these days. <laughs> chief, chief golf writer, Andy. Chief. Sorry, chief golf writer, um, has written 
a piece that you can uh, access at golf.org.au um, outlining just how difficult this golf course is. In, in case you're not, you know, completely au fait with it, you can you can get a really good sort of course guide from Blakey's piece on the website. Yeah, it, and it talks about it from uh, the perspective of all the big names who were taken into the USGA Media Centre today for uh, pre-tournament press conferences. And it, it's how the big guns are going to tackle it. And invariably, um, when, when the big guns are uh, lined up these days, they incorporate all the big hitters of the world. And chief among them is Dustin Johnson, whose primary tactic, as we've discussed at length here, is just to bomb and gouge. Yeah. Um, even he's saying this week that that's not going to be the case. Um, if you're not on the fairways, you're just hacking it out. Tiger Woods has said that you know he won't be t- necessarily taking, as John Rahm, won't be taking anything uh, automatic like a driver on every hole. He's got to get to a point where a number suits him for his second or third shot, as the case may be, to the green. Because if the green, if the ball's in the wrong spot on the green, this is three and even four putts central. At uh, at winged foot, so uh, the the, the <clears throat> pardon me. There are trees, Andy, that are in excess of a hundred feet tall that protect yep. some of the pin positions. So if you're attacking it from the wrong side, you short side yourself, you're dead. You know, and you're inviting a three putt on an already tricky green. So this might. I'm not necessarily saying I love the way it's going to be set up with the really penal rough, but this might be the course where. You know, the Morikawas are brought, brought back into the picture by shaping shots rather than blazing away. And we've already seen Kepka um, take his leave from this tournament with injury. Um, we may not see that, you know, brazen physical assault on the course, which that that will be a good thing. Well, here, here. Well, it'll be interesting to see DeChambeau, Johnson and Finau are grouped for the first two days. It'll be... Um, It'll be fascinating as a snapshot to see how those three, um, you know, plot themselves around this course. And um, there could be wild swings between, you know, within that group about if, if any one of those three decides to strategize their way around as opposed to overpower, it'll be really interesting to see the differences if one decides to go all-out physical assault and the other one decides to go you know, sort of tactical route. It'll be really interesting to see how, within that group, how they go about it. Uh, so Tiger Woods, I agree with that wholeheartedly, Andy. And Tiger Woods today rated this as one of the three championship courses in the world where, he, you know, they're tossing up, A, as to whether it's the most difficult setup, and B, the course that could host a, host a championship at the drop of a hat, um, mm. given that some other course befell, had something befall it. Um, so it was Oakmont in um, in near, near Pittsburgh, and it was Carnoustie in Scotland. Okay. A, alongside this, in Tiger's opinion, that Wingfoot was one of the three courses where you could just say, "Hey, Knackers, we need to run a tournament next week. Can we go?" And they'd say, they'd be able to say, "Yes, it's that difficult." So the course rating um, apparently is seventy six. The par is seventy. Uh, the slope rating is one hundred and forty six. <laughs> uh, and this is before the tricks of this tournament. Yeah. Plus, we're playing off the tips. If they play at full length one day, it'll be the 10th longest course set up in US Open history, but with all these tricks. Um, I, I don't know, Andy. This, these greens aren't going to be the talking point because the rough will be, I guarantee you. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But 
there were there were a few Twitter videos from players doing the rounds today, and there was one. I think it was Tony Finau. I think Adrian Otegi shot the video, but Finau hit it. Oh, he was standing two feet from the pin on one of the holes and putted the ball up to the back of the green about 35, 40 feet away and then watched it trickle all the way back into the hole. That's what we're dealing with here. So um, if, if you can uh, indulge me for two seconds, I remember walking around on Oakmont with Mark Leishman on a practice round um, when we were there in 2016 from memory. Um, and, he, and I was fascinated to watch how he plotted his way around the greens. And these, the, these ones this week will be the same. And he said his dad... Um, who's a fantastic scratch player himself at Warrnambool, if he put him on, a scratch golfer this is, mind you, mm-hmm. if he put him onto the green in regulation on all 18 holes, would still shoot 90 because Jeez. that's how treacherous these greens are. And that's what everyone looks at the rough that the USGA puts into play. But these greens are just wicked, wicked. And if you're on the wrong side, look out. Um, there's some famous stories about putting on a wing foot, and I'm sure we're going to add to it this week. Well, we know that's what they like to do. So we'll, um, you know, they want this to be a grind and a grueling test, and they want you know par to be a good score. We all understand what's set up. So, so we'll wait and see um, how they deal with it. Um, we'll get the thoughts of Scotty Hand and Lucas Michelle soon, who are about to join us. Um, elsewhere uh, around the place, I really felt for Cam Percy this week. It was a an enormous opportunity for him. You know, playing in the Napa Valley um, Safeway Open. Uh, three terrific opening rounds, 64, 68, 68. He was in a terrific position going into the last round. He knew that the scoring was good. A guy had shot 62 to sort of catapult himself you know, from one of the early groups into the lead. So scores were out there to be had. Um, and it was a, for a guy who's you know, 46 or 47 years old, this was a great opportunity for Percy, a real life changer for Cam Percy, who's one of you know, everybody's favourites around this joint. Um, it all fell apart early in his round four, five, six. He went double, double bogey, and it was end of the story. Really, he kind of clawed his way and hung around as best he could there after shot seventy four. But I've had a there's been I've had a heaviness around me this week thinking about Cam. I was really hoping that he was playing so well and putting so well, um, mm-hmm. you know, for the first three rounds that he might have been able to finish this off. And unfortunately for him, it um, it didn't come to pass. Yeah, you just. The opportunities don't come along very often, period. But when when you're presented with a field that you know doesn't have the upper echelon, um, that you're in a great vein of form, uh, that there's great storylines building around you, and mm. and that you are you know in the twilight of your best golfing years, um, you know the, it was all systems go now for Cam Percy and for him to have that inopportune start. Um, yeah, it's pretty gut-wrenching, to be honest, because he's such a good bloke and he's fought the hard fight just to get there and he's come back from an injury that we spoke about to him last yeah. time and it was all seemed ready to go, didn't it? That's that's why it makes it so hard. And he'll be kicking himself another to, to another degree, I think, because a 47-year-old bloke won it. I mean, Stuart Sink oh. won the thing. So um, shoots 65 in the final round, shoots 21 under for the tournament and... There'd be a bit of Camp Percy thinking that could have been moment. I mean, if he goes par, par, par through four, five, six, then he's, you know, well, the rest is history, really. But yeah. um, anyway, that's the way the cookie crumbles and it, and it didn't come to pass. No, no, the, um, no slide on Stuart Sink, who uh, no. I didn't, I didn't realise. And, and you never do, Andy, until you get the guys a chance to shine in the spotlight. The backstory that he's had in the past few years with his wife suffering um, 
illnesses that threatened her life and you know he, he had his son on the bag this week and a great family story around the win there for Stuart Sink who's realistically uh, best remembered as the bloke who shafted Tom Watson in the 2009 <laughs> Open so of course um, yep. Yeah, which is unfortunate because he's been a great golfer. But, um, yeah, no, good story for him. Just a pity for Cam. One of the um, one of the sidebar stories in all of this was during the tournament, um, Kevin Kisner decided to respond to a Rex Chapman tweet. I'm sure you're all over this, and most of our listeners have probably, you know, sort of picked up on this story that took place. Rex Chapman's a bit of a Twitter icon these days, former elite college basketball. He might have played. Would have been on an NBA roster at one stage. I'm, I'm not quite sure about that, but he was. Did, did he get any sort of NBA time in his life? Yeah, uh, I think he did. He was a pretty good. He was a, an outstanding uh, college player. Yeah, played for Kentucky. Um, I think he was. A, yeah, he's good basketball he's, school. And... He was picked up in round one, Andy of the of the draft. I'm just looking at this now. So he's played for Charlotte, Washington, Miami, and Phoenix. So he has a very solid career from '88 all the way through to 2000. Oh, there you go. So he's, you know, he's played basketball at the highest level. So, and he's become a, he's a, he's a must follow on Twitter. I reckon he's fantastic, and he's, he's, you know, quite well known. He puts his political views out there. He's a bit anti this, you know, federal government, federal government, this, this president and the presidency in America at the moment. And he put out a tweet, you know, suggesting that COVID's come very close to home. He's one of his kids has picked it up, and he's had family and friends. And it was a really heartfelt tweet that he put out, um, exasperated a bit about the lack of seriousness that the um, this president sort of displaying regarding the treatment and control of you know coronavirus. Kevin Kisner's put out a tweet to response. In response, said, "Guess they can't follow the guidelines." So it was really insensitive and you know, suggesting that it was their fault that they picked it up. You can read into. It. I don't even know what Kevin Kisner's intentions were. I don't know why he put it out. It was just a really dumb, thoughtless, insensitive tweet that he put out. He's on the PGA Tour policy board, Hazy, this bloke. He's on the PGA Tour policy board. Now, the PGA Tour has put out its um, statement, oh, we're disappointed, it doesn't reflect the thoughts of the tour. Kisner's put out an apology. If anyone was upset, I, I apologise, and I apologise to Rex. So tick box, tick box, put it behind us, move on. If they're fair income, and they won't, they won't, because I think a lot of us know, we'll have a suspicion of, you know, where a bit of the heartland of the PGA Tour lives. They won't do this, but he should be removed from that PGA Tour policy board. <laughs> if nothing else happens, he should have no he should have no place steering. Anybody on that board needs to have a broader view, clearly needs to have a broader view. This is a tiny worldview that Kevin Kisner displayed in a short tweet. He should be removed from that, struck from it straight away, um, and... I- and it's crazy. I really liked, I like your innovation in this podcast, Andy, but I never thought you'd, in, you'd institute a comedy hour in the first segment of Inside the Ropes. I, I know it's not going to happen, Hazy, right? I know. But, <laughs> I mean, seriously. And they, they don't care. I mean, and I know they don't care about what the rest of the world thinks of them and you know how they see their politics playing out or their you know well, the- kind of social justice stances that they take or any of that stuff. I know they don't care, but... I need to distance, you know us probably more from from the politics and i know that some people don't like us creeping into that ground whereas you know i would talk about it all day but just for their sake i'll talk about this from a um a pga tour perspective rather than a political standpoint maybe they're one and the same you're 100 percent right he should get the tijuana directly from that council without even second thought but 
as was covered that story, I think it was in Golf World, the way they covered the story was uh, Kisner, a part of the uh, tour policy-making machine, has been advocating strongly for opening up tournaments because the financial impact yep. of COVID-19 yep. has really hit the tour hard. Yep. Well, spare me, Kevin. Mm-hmm. I mean, fair dinkum. Uh, you're only playing for, what, five and a half million instead of six million this week? You, you're a total moron. Total moron who's lost all perspective of life here. And that's not Liberal, Labor, Democrat, Republic. That's just someone who's forgotten the realities of life. So the same week that he says, I guess they can't follow the guidelines, Sam Horsfield and Scotty Scheffler have to withdraw from the US Open because they can track COVID-19. And Mark Kelkovecchia has got it. And he put out a tweet. And if you want to get a sense for how um, debilitating this thing can be, have a read of Kelk's tweet. It is, it's, it's a harrowing tweet. It's, he, he gets up. He's so, he feels so bad about it. Uh, and so um, ill as a result of this, and he gets up to walk walk around the house to try and get away from it, but it just follows him the whole time, and it's with him constantly. So it's he, he just he 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 outlines it far more eloquently than I just have there. But um, so so the same week that you know Kisner comes out with his dismissive, guess I can't follow the guidelines um, quote. He's got two young players under thirty can't play because they've contracted the virus. And a bloke who's been, you know, a major championship winner, Mark Kelkovecchia, who's also displaying um, or, or describing to all of us just how debilitating the disease can be, and he's get, coming up with that. I mean, it's um, look, it's it's really poor form, and um, but nothing will happen, and we'll move on, and everything will be fine, and it'll be forgotten in no time. Um, anything else from that that you want to bring up before we get a wriggle on here, or not from that well, tournament, we... or? Well, yeah, but not from that tournament specifically, um, but I just did want to point out one other thing that happened on um, social media this week, Andy, pertaining to the US Open, and, and it's different, but you know, along the same lines in some respects. Uh, a Golf Digest story was rehashed about the most underwhelming US Open winners. Oh. Uh, and the author, E. Michael Johnson. So if you think we're just sitting here slotting... Um, people who aren't journalists in this show. E. Michael Johnson is going to get a bit of a couple of barrels here. I'm sure you're going to have your say on it too. But No, no, he's you, just, you can say it for both of us. Oh, he's described, among others, Michael Campbell as one of the most underwhelming US Open winners in modern era, and that was 2005, the year before uh, Jeff Ogilvy won at Winged Foot. And look, Michael Campbell, who's a ripping bloke, uh, you know, he's, he's battled with more things than the majority of professional golfers ever will, let alone the tyranny of distance and all that sort of stuff. And the fantastic play that he exhibited around the world in the lead-up to the 2005 US Open, as is conveniently forgotten by a lot of uh, American journalists, was just swept under the carpet uh, in his analysis. And Michael Campbell was good enough to fire back a few shots on social media this week when he was described as underwhelming. He had... He, took the trophy, the US Open trophy that he has and put a couple of pieces of paper on it, including the word underwhelming, or put a sad face on with a couple of tears on the trophies. He tucked it into bed and all this sort of stuff because it was <laughs> underwhelming. And uh, full credit to Michael Campbell for, for doing that and actually you know, telling it like it is. And I think E. Michael Johnson, who conveniently sort of half 
apologized in his follow-up article, but then by the same token, just, just you know, didn't ever take it back uh, and give a full apology and got, got more Twitter bait or clickbait, I should say, for his troubles on, on uh, uh, the way the world media is run these days through clickbait and counting of stories. Uh, you're a disgrace. I'm sorry. Mm. Um, to, to win a major championship, we all have our thoughts on who the best and who the, you know, the, the not best are, but to win a major championship, you are a bloody good golfer, rain, hail or shine, and you wouldn't want it to say it any other way. Underwhelming is just so rude, Andy. E. Michael just unnecessary, Hazy. No just an unnecessary uh, piece. A completely unnecessary piece. You want to celebrate the deeds of these people, not diminish them by by doing that. It's just it's just a nonsense to even think that that was a required um, element of the coverage of the US Open or any major golf championship for that matter. I mean, it's crazy stuff. I'm trying um, not to go underwhelming on the use of the first initial as a separating tool for, to make your uh, stories look good too, Andy, but I'll, I'll try and steer clear of that. Jason Scrivener, another top 20. He's had four top 20s um, finishes in his last five starts. Scrivener in Portugal this week. George Coetzea won that at 16 under the card. So Scriv just keeps, you know, putting himself in the mix and we're hopeful that one of these days he's going to cash in. There's a... I've got a little black... When I mind a black, booter, a black booker, and I reckon there's probably a few people who listen to this podcast who like having a bit of a bet on the golf every now and again. Not that I'm encouraging people to gamble, Hazy, but um, Laurie Cant has been around for a while. He's been he's been chipping away here and there for a while. His last three weeks, he finished second in Portugal, tied 13 at the UK Championship and tied fifth at the Welsh Open. He's going well, this bloke, um, and it's just a name that if you are looking for... Um, you know, an eye to uh, someone to keep your eye on, or maybe whacking a multi, or <laughs> any of that sort of stuff. Um, whatever you, whatever your fancy might be. Laurie Cant is a name that's caught my eye in the last three or four weeks, so um, that's worth keeping um, in the back of your mind. The I'd Corn like to see Ferry him run second next week and uh, see Screw Bob at the line and get well, that him. would be nice. I'd be happy with that. We had Brett Drewitt on the show. This was this was in a hell of a story, I reckon. Brett Drewitt was on the show last week for having won on the Corn Ferry Tour. Comes out the next week, plays, tees up, when a lot of people probably decide to take the week off the next week, but we heard the reasons why he wanted to keep going. Shoots 75 in the first round. Shoots 40 on the back nine. Okay, you can understand that. He's had the win. Um, he hasn't got his head in the game. He's just going to write this weekend off and um, you know prepare for what comes next. The next day he comes out, he shoots 66 in the second round. He birdies 16, 17 and 18 to make the cut. He gets in by birding those last three. So he digs in and claws his way into the weekend. He then comes out and shoots 31 on the front nine on Saturday. He ended up shooting 66. But once he's got 31 on the front, he's actually loomed. He's in contention. So he's gone from being, pack your bag, see you later, I'll, I'll, I'll check back in in a couple of weeks' time, to turning the whole thing around, digging in and turning the whole thing around. Shoots 70 in the last round, finishes six back at 11 under the card. In the end, you know, terrific finish. Keeps his momentum going. It says a lot about a bloke when they win, you know, when they've been at the crossroads, as Brett Drewitt um, explained to us last week. says a lot of, in a different way, I reckon, it says a lot that you you don't chuck it in. You dig in for the fight. And, and I reckon there's a couple of the young Aussies who are on the Corn Ferry Tour who we're all a bit excited about, and they're all doing good things. They miss a few too many cuts, these blokes, for my liking. If I was a footy, if this was a footy team, 
and I had him in front of me, I'd give him a bit of a... I'd use Brett Drew at this week as a bit of a... Hey, you blokes. Half of you blokes have got more talent than this fella. And look what he's done. He's dug in for the fight. On the, I think a few of those young blokes could take a leaf out of Brett Drewitt's book. We laud them for their good finishes. We celebrate them when they win. Can't wait to wrap our arms around them when they have a great result. But if you follow that secondary tour, there's a lot of these young Aussies who have got a lot of talent who are missing way too many cuts for my liking. Brett Drewitt was fantastic on the weekend. Well done. Oh, I like that you've come out on the front foot here today, Andy. And I, um, uh, I actually think... Uh, that that also signifies signifies even that the freedom you can play with once you've broken through can yeah, be very beneficial. Yeah. Um, so I don't disagree with you on the, wholeheartedly on the um, you know the other younger fellas there, but it also to me shows that once you've broken through, you you know you play with the knowledge that you can get there, and nothing's out of reach now. So hopefully the others get to experience that with your little rev up on board that they can Just experience that, that same feeling sooner than later. <laughs> here, here. Uh, US some, Open. Uh, yep, go on. I was going to say, Andy, but we, we probably should um, – sorry to interrupt your flow there. We no, probably no, should no. get to a break because I probably need to analyse a little bit of a breaking news story here about the Australian PGA Championship so that we can talk about it a little more in depth later on. Okay, so uh, give, me a, give me a headline. What's going on? Well, we will talk about it in depth, but unfortunately right now the Australian PGA Championship uh, has been postponed. It was originally slated, slated for December the 3rd to the 6th at Royal Queensland. And for now, just looking at the news breaking as we record here, it's now the February 18 to 21, again at Royal Queensland. Uh, we'll, we'll probably dissect that a little bit more in depth a little later on. Right, I do that. Have a read of the story and we'll um, give you more details. Um, uh, when we uh, have had a read of the story. And by the time you listen to this, you've probably got yourself across most of it anyway. But uh, we'll fill you in when we can. Uh, US Open, uh, Scotty Hen, Lucas, Michelle, they're teeing it up. They'll join us next. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. US Open, Wingfoot, we can't wait. It's going to be a different one. We know that, obviously. There won't be, you know, galleries lining the famous fairways, but... We know it's on the line. Uh, it's a US Open nonetheless, and it's uh, going to be one that's going to be keenly, keenly viewed all around the world, particularly here in Australia. We've got a great contingent again teeing it up, and one of our great friends here on Inside the Ropes, young Lucas Michelle, is one of those, and we'll catch up with Scotty Hand in a moment, but he's been good enough to join us to set the scene for what's in front of him and the expectations that are coming with it, the preparation that's led into it on the show. He joins us. Hey, Lucas, thanks again for your time, mate. No worries. Thanks, Andy, and thanks, Hazy, and it's good to be here from uh, an evening in New York. How are the... Um, so what are we now? We're recording this on Wednesday morning our time, so Thursday, uh, Tuesday night yep. yours. How are, the, um, yep. how are the anticipation and excitement levels at the moment? Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been really good. I, I did have quite a good little introduction to, to the quality of golf, um, of the competitors around here. So Sunday I, I played nine with Sung Im and then nine with Patrick Cantlay. And then Monday, uh, yesterday was was uh, even better probably with Adam Scott and Rio Ishikawa and Curtis Luck. So um, it's been a good little introduction to major golf for me, um, being exposed not in, the, not in the wrong way but in the right way to some really first-class play. 
um, yeah, avoiding the uh, COVID exposure. <laughs> so what do you what do you get from that in terms of a sense for where you sit, Luke? I mean, you played with great players. You, you've teed it up and played with great ball strikers, but here you are at the setting of a major, and you're playing with some of the you know some some global superstars in these practice rounds. Do you get a sense for where your game sits alongside some of them? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you're, you're only really seeing their their, their play, and it's, it's it's a small sample size of shots. You know, you're seeing nine holes or eighteen holes at a time. But I mean, Sung Jm hit probably some of the purest iron shots I've ever seen for those nine holes. Patrick Cantlay was boringly good, like just so consistent, such a good player, but like not, you know, nothing that's going to wow you, just, you know, 10-15 feet from the hole every every shot. Um, and then Scotty probably admittedly wouldn't have had his best day, but he was still, you know, you'd see it disappointed with a few shots and they'll go to 25 feet and whatever and, you know, you'd Anyone would take those, um, but you know he's got the sweetest golf swing in, in the world, and um, just watching that was good enough. And um, Rio Shikawa was just a really good guy, really fun to be around, and um, another great golf swing. It was it was pretty nice little viewing display, Rio and and Adam um, watching them go at it. So uh, yeah, it's good to get a gauge of where my game is against theirs. I felt like. I've played pretty well the last couple of days and, and, and certainly didn't feel like I was out of my depth um, with my performance. Today I just sort of had 18 holes by myself. And, um, funnily enough, I probably played the worst I've played out of the last three days. So um, it's funny, I don't know, I guess I rose to the occasion when I was playing with the, the good players. But uh, yeah, I had a little rain session after the day and kind of figured a few things out. So hopefully I'll play a little better tomorrow. Well, you've already given us our headline for the podcast, mate. You called Patrick Cantlay boring, so we appreciate that. That's really that's outstanding of you to do that. But no, in all seriousness, I did, I did want to um, ask you about Adam Scott's... Uh, not only you're watching his ball striking and his course management, etc., but obviously that he plays with yourself and Curtis. He, he, he's definitely taken on that sort of role of, of helping the young kids probably get mentally organised for a major championship. Is that a fair comment? He definitely has, yeah. So I, I got in touch with Evan Priest. I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't have a way to contact Adam. So Evan Priest and I chatted uh, in a reporter, um, and I uh, mentioned, you know, that I was hoping to sort out a round with Adam Scott. And Evan said, oh, you know, let me, let me sort of try, try and get in touch with him. And he did. And then I got a text from Adam um, on, I think it was Friday in the morning, and. And I didn't see it for 14 hours. Um, and then I opened it up and I was like, oh, crap, you know, I better reply to this. Um, so <laughs> I quickly replied and then, you know, he, he replied back the next morning and, um, and yeah, we sorted something out. So he, you know, completely, you know, didn't have to do that. And admittedly, you know, he said, when we were playing, like, do you do this often? He said, oh, you know, I prefer to play by myself. Yeah, but I, and not that he was insinuating that we were kind of imposing on him, but, you know, you can tell that he's not doing this, you know, he's doing this for the greater good of Australian golf, not just, for, you know, not just for fun. Like, he, 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 I think he understands his responsibility as, as a great role model for um, Australian golfers up and coming. That's great. It is. That's fantastic. I love to hear you. Um, Lucas, I, I know that you've taken a keen interest alongside Mike Clayton, one of your, you know, your good friends and colleagues now. 
uh, in the course design, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, and all the aspect of architecture and golf and the, and the importance of you know good quality design. Is it more imposing on you this week to play at a course, a legendary course like Winged Foot in its sixth hosting of the US Open than it than it would be to say, and I'm just picking one off the shelf here, don't, not creating my own headlines, but a lesser known course, Erin Hills or Chambers Bay or something that hasn't got the, you know, the prestige and, the, and perhaps the design elements about it? I don't know. That's a tough question. I'm probably more excited for the week because I know it's a great golf course. Um, I think learning the greens has been really interesting, not just from, uh, you know, learning them to play the best golf I can, but also learning what A.W. Tillinghast actually did on the ground to design a set of greens that are really, really interesting to play golf on. So it's kind of like got a dual kind of interest for me in, in kind of learning, you know, if I ever get the chance to create my own set of greens on a golf course, maybe with Mike Clayton and in the future, then you know, I'm going to try and take some of the design elements away from what I've seen this week. But, I mean, yeah, those greens at Wingfoot are some of the most famous in the world. And, yeah, me having a real interest in golf architecture is probably going to help me understand them better as well in terms of how I play them. So I think there's an element of that for sure. It keeps me a bit more interested in the golf course, um, interested in playing well. Uh, I don't know if there's a you know, sort of like an intimidation factor from playing such a great golf course. I, I, I mean other than the fact that it's just intimidating because it's so difficult. But, um, yeah, I think, I think it just keeps me on my toes, keeps me interested more in, more in playing, I think. I wonder how many other pros teeing up this week, or amateurs for that matter, know who actually designed the golf course. I think you might be in the minority on that, but well done for that and good on you for taking a broader interest. Does it... Um is it a is it a, is it any sort of factor at all for you that you're going to be playing with a couple of Australians for the first two days? When I saw the draw, I was actually really excited because you know um, Lucas, you know we've played some junior golf together and amateur golf as well. So um, having someone I know there is going to be really really comforting um, in those first couple rounds. And then I don't know Matt, but you know another Aussie's another great thing as well. So. When I saw the draw, I thought I thought it'd be great. I thought you guys would think it was great. So I think overall, I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be good fun and um, definitely uh, kind of a comforting, easy way. And if there is one uh, for a first couple of rounds at a major for the first time, absolutely. And and co- competitive golf wise, we we know you've been um, you know you've been you've been playing a little bit. T- tell us how much actual sort of mm-hmm. top line competitive golf you've played. Um, coming in here in the last sort of couple of months? Yeah, it's, it's been tricky. So my last, so before I left Australia, my last big event was Riversdale Cup. So that was in March. Um, so I played that in March, flew over to the US, and then had to fly back because um, of coronavirus hitting. Um, so I came back in March, you know, everyone was locked down. Um, I didn't, basically I didn't play a competitive golf tournament until I left on August 6th. I played the little Mike Clayton's little St. Andrews Beach Invitational, which yeah, was awesome. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. Um, and I played pretty well there. I actually played really well. So that was a good little warm-up. But um, I then flew over to the US, played the US Amateur, which was really good. That was in early August. Um, but that was my only other competitive um, sort of practice before this week. So 
yeah, I'm definitely coming in a little, little colder than the guys playing on the PJ Tour, which are playing, you know, they've played six or seven weeks on the run, some of them. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit different to their preparation, but, I mean, hopefully that means I'm a little fresher and mentally ready for the week ahead. It's going to be a tough one. Andy, do you reckon that Clates had it in mind that the knock around at St Andrews Beach would become the traditional lead up to the US Open? <laughs> I love I love everything about that tournament. I love everything about what Clates did, and you know how affectionate I am for St Andrews Beach. It's my favourite golf course in Australia. But I'll say this: it's like stepping up from a Menangle Maiden uh, into a group. It's like it's coming from the Menangle Maiden to the Cox Plate. It's it's a fair step up, I reckon. Uh, with with all due respect to everything that St Andrews, although the conditions down there, Lucas, they sounded pretty heinous. So. Uh, if you can, if you play well down there and you can, you can bottle a bit of that, that's going to hold you in pretty good stead. Yeah, I think the uh, that sort of level of uh, determination and level-headedness around Sanders Beach and that wind—I mean, it was blowing probably 60 k's per hour at times um, in the second round. So, <laughs> taking some of that away definitely will, will help this week, I think, because it's it's yeah, it's going to just be a really a good mental test more than anything just to kind of plot your way around and not get frustrated and take the bad breaks uh, with the good ones and and yeah it's 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 going to be fun in a way but not probably not probably the usual way it's just going to be yeah it's going to be a challenge well mate it's an enormous experience that you've got in front of you um it's a start of a long road in the game um, that you've already, you know, sort of begun and we can't wait to see what you do this weekend. Um, we're all, we'll all be watching from a long way away, mate, so enjoy it. Good luck. Hopefully you play as well as you can and um, we wish you all the very best. Um, good luck. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Lucas Michelle, who's one of the Australians teeing up at winged foot. Earlier on, Hazy, as we continue our US Open preview, you had the Good fortune to catch up with a player at the other end of his um, professional career. We've got one starting out, one well and truly, you know, into the into the not, not quite the veteran stage just yet, Scotty Hen, but a well-travelled global player he is, and he's turning it up in a US Open again. And you had the good fortune to catch up with him. Well, thanks very much to Scott Hen for joining us. Uh, always generous with your time, mate. We're delighted to have you join us from uh, well, just north of New York City. Must be a, a, an amazing feeling to get back to winged foot. You were there, one of only a couple of Aussies there when uh, Jeff Ogilvy was so spectacularly successful in 2006. Yeah, very lucky, very fortunate to be here having a game. So um, trying to take advantage of it, but um, the golf course will only give me what I can get out of it and, you know, we'll just see how we go. Mate, before we talk to you about the course this week and everything else that's going on in the world of golf, um, do you, what are your memories of that 2006 event? We, we, did you stick around and watch that dramatic finish? No, I, um, I, thought, I thought for myself when I was going into the back nine, I had a chance of, of maybe finishing top five or so because I, I think I was only nine over par going into the back nine and then had a horror back nine shot five over, went and packed my locker up and... The boys were still coming down, obviously, the back nine, and we went to the hotel over near Newark, turned the TV on, and then all of a sudden Jeff's won the tournament. And it was you know, Unfortunately, I wasn't there for it, but it was amazing to see. You didn't consider racing back there for the celebrations? Oh, not, not, not New York traffic on a Sunday, mate. No chance. <laughs> oh, that's fair enough. It has been a while since you got the start 
uh, in the US Open. Um, did you think that it gone away those chances or are you always hopeful and confident you get back there? Oh, I was going to try and do the qualifier this year anyway. I was going to come back to the States and come up go up to Ohio and try and do the 36-hole qualifier for the, at the tour stop. So, I mean, you still got the chance to try and qualify. They give 14 spots away at, at some of the locations and, you know, you go out and you play 36 holes, you never know what's going to happen. You, you can get one of those spots. So that that's always there to be had. Unfortunately, the last few years, I tried to do the qualifier at Walton Heath in the UK and that golf course is a course where, you know, if you if you're offered a game of golf, you wouldn't go and play it. It's a, it's a great golf course, but it's a golf course which I just absolutely detest. I play horrendous at it. But it hasn't been to my, my sort of strengths. We have to work on your scheduling a bit, mate. Well, mate, there's not much I can do. When there's usually a $7 million tournament in the UK and then the following Monday's a qualifier. So it's not like I'm not going to play the $7 million just so I can come over and do a qualifier in the States. No, no, that's a fair comment. Um, so <laughs> y- y- your game's been, uh, you know, hot and cold this year, I would say. It's so probably a, hopefully a fair enough assessment. But you always pack a game that can contend, especially at majors with your length. Um, do, you, do you rate your chances here this week of putting up a pretty solid show? Oh, mate, I reckon out of, out of 20, I'd give myself about a minus four. <laughs> 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 I mean, we had a practice round today. And it was Leash, Leash and I took on uh, Curtis Luck and, and Cam Smith on the back nine on a four-ball best ball, and they absolutely pounded us. Leash and I were just chipping it out of the rough everywhere. It, is it – walk us through the course, mate. I mean, it looks – we all know how brutal that winged foot can be. Is it as treacherous as it might be, or is it a little soft at the moment, or how, how do you rate it? Well, I think it's a lot tamer than what it was in 2006. And they've done us a favour by, on a lot of the holes in the front line, inside the rope, the rope line, they've actually gone along and cut about an inch and a half, two inches off the rough. So I walked the back nine on Sunday and I thought, oh, goodness me, this is not good. And then, then Monday I played nine holes and I went, this is going to be impossible because if you hit it in the rough, you had to take a nine iron or a pitch and wedge to flick it back out in the fairway. And now you can actually get a seven iron, or if you, you could get a good enough way to get a six iron onto it out of the rough. So it's not going to be as brutal as I thought it would be. Um, the, they do have sub air for the greens, so if they really dry the greens out, it could get a little bit bouncy on the greens. But being in September and not in June, the weather's totally different, so they shouldn't get the greens baked out like we usually do in June, which is mm. a good thing for us players. And I assume even through the, the height of the summer there in New York that they've had more than one eye on keeping enough water on it so it hasn't, as you say, baked down in the, in the long summer. Yeah, the course is extremely green. And, I mean, that's, the course is right there in front of you. They've, they've lengthened a lot of holes. There's some massive par threes. It was 234 metres to one of the pins on the par three the other day. And it's just... A wicked, wicked holes, but the course is right in front of you. Keep it below the pin. Obviously, try and hit the fairways, and a score can be had. So it's not impossible that someone's going to play well, but uh, I still expect the score to, to be over par for the winning score. So you, you mentioned, um, you know, your practice rounds, and I assume that everyone's, you know, doing the research and all that sort of gear that 
necessarily makes for slow rounds. Is that going to be a factor during play as well? Is it going to is the is the rough that penal, and the chip outs that obvious that it's going to be a, a, a you know a a test of uh, of patience as well as golf. Well, I hope it's not going to be slow because I'm off at two o'clock on Friday in the last group, so I'd like to get finished before the sun goes down. <laughs> but, is there a uh, chance so that it could drag? The, 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 I, I wouldn't think so. The spotters out there, but we've got spotters out there already, and they're doing a great job. They're they're all over it, and they're finding the balls. You know, ninety five percent of the time with ease. So it's not like the balls are disappearing right down into the the real bad stuff because to hit it in the stuff where you can't find it is, I mean, it's off the planet sort of wide. So yeah. we, we shouldn't have a problem getting around. It's just whether these guys pull their finger out their backside and actually play golf instead of meditating before they hit it. Yeah, it's, it's become a factor, hasn't it, to be honest? I mean, I'm not sure where you stand on green books with uh, topographical maps on them, etc. but it's it's become an issue, hasn't it? Oh, for sure. I mean, um, I've tried the green books thing. It just gets me more confused. So, you know, it's no, no use me going with them. But I'm, I'm old school, mate. Look at a green. Yep, looks like the water goes that way or it just feels like it slopes that way. I don't have to walk up my line in four different increments and put my hands up in the air and give a nod out or an out looking at the hole. You know, this, this aim point sort of stuff it just does my head in watching guys doing it. And, and you know, but that's the way the game's going. It's it's unfortunate, but um, you know, the, the governing bodies have to get onto these guys and tell them to get a move on. Yeah, I personally couldn't agree with you more. So, how do you how do you actually deal with that, mate? To be honest, uh, you know, we've chatted with Matt Jones about this before. Who's you know plays like Grease Lightning? Um, how do you how do you switch off when someone in your group's doing your head in like that? Well, I've, I've actually, in my routine, tried to slow down as much as I can. But the problem is, is, is normally the slow player is a, is a player that is only thinking about themselves because everyone's quiet when they're teeing off and doing stuff. But then once you're over the ball, for some reason, they're going into their bag, they're grabbing muesli bars, they're talking to their caddy. I just don't understand what this guy's mentality is. And, and it's it's more about me, 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 and they're not thinking about anybody else in the group. And prime example was today where we went out and played 18 holes. It took five hours 20 to play practice round. I mean, the the guys in front were a hole and a half behind the group in front of them, and they did not care about us guys standing in the fairway waiting. It's it's yeah. just a just a bad thing, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. It makes it hard to attract new new uh, spectators to the game as well. I reckon. I just want to ask you more about. Yeah, the, we all want to have fun. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want to ask you more about, you mentioned pitching out before and, and finding the right spots on the greens. I, I read a story earlier this week in doing some preparation that Billy Casper, who won there in 1959, actually played those long par threes um, with a layup each day so he didn't bring the trouble around the greens into play. Is not suggesting you're going to do that at all, but are there holes where it's more prudent to be short because they seem to be relatively straight holes uh, uh, where, you know, to give yourself a better shot around a tree that's protecting a green or anything like that? Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at it like this, if you can control your flight, if you get a good enough flight to control, I mean, sometimes you're in the rough, you can't control it. But if a pin's cut in the middle or at the back, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to short side yourself. You don't want to miss the green pin high short-siding yourself. You don't want to miss the green long. So obviously the place to hit it is below the hole if you can if you can do that. If you have had the ability for a good enough lie to do it, that's going to be the best way to score. 
And if you've got such a bad lie that you're worried about it's going to jump, you're better off just laying it up and, and having that 40, 50-metre pitch to a centre pin so you don't get past the pin. Because if you do get past it, the putts are going to be diabolically quick. And if you do get a flyer out of the rough and say it turns over on you and the pin's cut on the right and you hit it, say, back left and the pin's front right, you're going to have a, a putt which, if you had if you had five attempts at it, you, you may three-putt it three times because the, the greens are going to be so wow. quick. And then the gradient of slope on the greens and the way the greens are sectioned off, you've got to make sure you're in the right part of the green to have a half a chance. I read also somewhere today, Hendy, that um, Jack Nicholas apparently, famously, it was probably a little bit before my time watching, but in I think it was '74, four part of the very first green. Is that something you can see happening this week? Um, I can if you if you <laughs> if you hit in the wrong spot. Um, it's not it's not as fast as what it was in 2006 because in 2006 I three I three part of the first green myself just just actually trying to get it close because it's mm. so much slope on it. They've actually redone the greens since 06. They've made them a little bigger back to apparently how they were back in the day from old maps they had and they put the sub air in and they're, they're, they've got a lot of moisture in them right now. But like I said, come the weekend, if they, if they keep the sub air going, who knows what's going to happen, but it's possible to do anything on these greens. I mean, you're going to see three putts on TV. You're definitely going to see guys three putting. Yeah. Now, your own game, mate. I, I, I read on the Australian PGA website that you've uh, gone back in search of the old, one of the old drivers you used to have to try and uh, get it all straightened out. What have, you, what have you settled on? Well, that that was red carded today, so tomorrow it's got to spend the day on the bench and I've put in a, a titleist driver tomorrow to give it a crack, see what's happened, because it was well and truly misbehaving. <laughs> what has to happen for you to red card a driver? Um, well, a driver gets red carded when your chipping game has to come into play. And I mean, when I say chipping game, chipping out. Not chipping to the green, chipping out of the trees. So if you're doing that more times than you are going out of green, you probably should give it a bit of a rest. <laughs> do you, so that I understand, was that, a, was that a ping driver? How do you go switching between brands to Titleist? Oh, mate, whatever goes straight and goes in the air is usually pretty good. I mean, I'm I'm, so I'm not a. Uh, the rest of your game. I'm, no, well, it does if you're not in the fairway. Whatever, whatever you can get in the fairway and get a chance to get to the green is always a good thing, you know. And and the problem around here is you can't go around this golf course hitting two iron and three wood off every tee because it's just too long. It's not going to work because then all of a sudden you've got four iron and rescue clubs into par fours and you can't get those close to the to the pins. You need to get sort of mid irons in there to have a chance of of any sort of score. So it sort of forces your hand a little bit. Has this been, without having seen every shot, and it's impossible when you're, you know, you're not among the leaders on the European tour to follow every shot that you play, but you know, two or three years ago, you seemed to be knocking on the door every, every Sunday in the European tour. Um, is the driver, a misbehaving driver, the chief cause of you not being in that position as regularly? I've had four drivers break since that point in time, and as soon as I get one that works, it just seems to break on me. The head cracks, something goes wrong with it. It's just, it's just a continual issue that I, for some reason, I seem to be having. And I mean, for a guy who's forty-seven, and I'm, I'm no longer the, one of the longest guys out here. You know, I, drivers shouldn't be breaking, and not like I'm hitting them on car paths or into my buggy all the time or anything. I'm actually hitting the ball, and for some reason, I'm getting cracked faces and cracked heads. So it's very frustrating, and. 
And they may tell you that one drive is the same as the next one, but it isn't. Especially when you get it weighted exactly how you want it and you're hitting the exact shape you want and the spin rate's what you want. They give you another one, all of a sudden it's totally different and then your confidence just goes downwards. And, you know, if one area of your game really goes off, it, it does affect other areas of the game. It puts more pressure on your putting or more pressure on your chipping and, you know, all of a sudden it's you, you start doubting yourself. And, and it's a funny old game. You know, but once you get something in your hand you can drive well with again, all of a sudden you're, you're off and going. Mm. Mate, you've always been really forthright with your opinions on, on key things. It's why it's so much, so much fun to talk to you. What are you seeing as the biggest issues confronting the game outside COVID, of course, um, at the moment? And have you got any ideas of you know how they could be remedied? Uh, but I, I think... Uh, I know everyone keeps saying that golf's in a bad shape, but I mean, I just think there there are way too many golf clubs now. That's one of the issues. There wasn't as many golf clubs as what there are now. Um, I think golf's actually gone okay. I mean, apparently golf sales for equipment was well and truly up in the United States over the last few months. I mean, I guess people sitting at home bored and just decide they want to buy something, but golf sales were up. Uh, membership fees, I'm not sure how it's going in Australia, but I mean, there's not much we can do about, obviously, with the COVID paying your membership fee, not getting your games in. That's just the way it goes. But um, I, I think I think the game's in, in, in a pretty good shape. Uh, with the one difference is we need more younger people to come in. Somehow we need to get the, the youth to come in and play and not get the grumpy old men having a go on them all the time. That's, that's the difference. You know, kids need to enjoy it. They need to... Back to when I was playing when I was 13, 14 and getting out there on a Sunday and being able to play in the competition and and enjoy the game and love the exercise instead of being inside. I think that's somehow we need to market it towards kids. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great point. And I, I hope that you'll see when you come home that uh, COVID's actually shaken things up a bit at club level and, and allowed, uh, you know, a feeling of camaraderie to build again around clubs. I reckon that's probably the best thing that's come out of it from uh, from a domestic perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it when I when I rock up the Nudgee Golf Course in, in in Brizzy there, and I see like fifteen juniors out there doing a junior clinic, and they're going out to play on the on the other nine holes. I think it's awesome. I mean, I, I'd love to see forty of them out there. I mean, if you get forty of them, if ten of them go on to want to be members and keep playing golf, it's yeah, that's fantastic. That's just what we need. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Now, I'm going to I'm going to probably throw you under the bus here because you're probably unaware of this information. Or you might be. You might have got a, a text from the Australian PGA, but um, the PGA's been moved back. The Australian PGA's been moved back to February as we speak uh, this year, and yep. there's no Australian yep. Open in 2020, and hoping that it gets played again in February or January at some point maybe. Have you got an idea of what that might look like from uh, attracting a field perspective, are we going to see um, some of your peers from the you know the, the global tours take a detour out of their schedule to come back to Australia in February if we can get a couple of tournaments? Well, if you look at it, we, we usually play Abu Dhabi and Dubai and Qatar, Oman, those sort of tournaments. Maybe they could do a swing where we play Abu Dhabi, Dubai, fly down to Australia and and I've got my fingers crossed. I just hope at some stage the Australian Open is going to become a co-sanctioned event with European Tour. 
and then we can actually get you know the Australian PGA. It's a great event, great trophy to win, great title, and then have the Australian Open as well pair up with that, and then possibly another tournament. So the guys from Europe go right. We can go down there for two or three weeks. To get the guys down there for one week is really difficult. It's really hard for these guys to say, oh, I'm going to go down for a week. I mean, when the weather's bad in Europe, ideally, in a non-COVID world, we play over the Christmas period in Australia where we've got summer and the guys can bring their family down and enjoy time on the beach and play play tournament golf. It's perfect scenario. And the guys from the US, US Tour usually have a bit of time off then and they may be able to throw you know, a, a tournament in and come and support one of the tournaments. I know they've got hectic schedules and they're heavily laden with tournaments, but if they've got that time off where they can get one in to warm up, say, before the Tournament of Champions or Hawaii, that'd be fantastic. So you're not set on a February date necessarily outside COVID. It could be any time, but just somewhere around Christmas and you know early in the year. Well, that, that, that would be ideal. I mean, I know that now they're going to, I think it's is it 13th of February, something like that for the... PGA, I think if I remember yeah. rightly, I found out this morning through an email. Um, I haven't heard anything about the Australian Open. I haven't been able to play Australian Open for ages because of schedule commitments in, in Europe. I'd dearly love to play an Australian Open. But having them back-to-back would be fantastic, and, and I would love to come in February if, if we're allowed to come to Australia without having to do 14 days quarantine and, and then if you can actually get a flight, which seems like it's impossible these days. Yeah, who knows what that's going to look like. I think the PGA is from the 18th to the 21st of February. So, uh, it, yeah, right. it's going to be a suck it and see here for everyone, including yourself, which is unfortunate because we, we'd love to get everyone like yourself back home as often as we can. Um, now, speaking of home, you've actually been able, before I let you go here, to uh, spend yep. three weeks on the same time zone, which is a bloody miracle for you these days. Oh, mate, I've, well... With everyone being in isolation this year, I've spent more time with my family than I have in forever, which has been a great thing for me. I'm not sure if it's been a great thing for my kids because they probably want me to go away so they can misbehave for their mother. But I've been I've been home and doing stuff, and it's been it's been good, but it's very frustrating too because all the time we spend at home trying to get back out and play tournaments, a lot of us who play a lot and travel a lot have found it very hard to try and get back into the swing of things, and it's. I mean, it's tough for everybody, but but mentally for us guys that that usually play week in, week out, it's just like the, the switch has been flicked off for too long. Mm. Did Did you find that you said you played with Leash earlier today? Is this, is that the same with Leash? I know he's spent a lot of time with his family, which he's loved, but he just hasn't been able to flick that switch yet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it's great for it's great for Cam Smith and, and Leash, and even Curtis won just a couple of weeks ago. So. I mean, for, for Leash and, and Smitty to win earlier in the season, you know, well, well they don't have to worry about anything, do they? Just just no, cruising around. And, and and this year is not really going to matter at all. They've, they've pretty much got three more years of exemption on the US, US Tour. So there's no rush. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm guessing Mark would love to play better golf. It's obviously well within him to do it. So it's just a matter of time until it comes back out again and he, he starts smashing it. Couldn't agree with you more. I'm sure that's uh, not too far away. So, mate, we better let you go. I know you've got a big week, and we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on Inside the Ropes, as you always do at the drop of a hat. Thank you so much. We, uh, I know it's hard work to get back into it in a major championship, but I reckon if anyone can do it, you, uh, you've got that capacity. <laughs> no worries. My pleasure. Anytime, guys.
Thanks, Scott, in joining us from, well, just outside Wingfoot, ready for the US Open Championship this week. We'll be back with more uh, from an A&A inspiration perspective in just a minute. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes and I'm joined by a fellow and regular co-host, Stacey Peters, who's brought along a very special guest for us, Stace. I might let you do the introductions. Thanks very much, Hazy. Thanks for having me on again. But uh, yes, we are very privileged to have Mikey Patterson with us today, um, world famous caddy, um, who most recently caddied for our young up-and-comer, Gabby Ruffles. So welcome to the show, Mikey. Thanks very much, guys. It's uh, it's nice to be joining you. Yeah, and you're joining us from Portland, Mikey, for uh, another another week on the bag. Things must have gone all right in uh, Southern California. Yeah, they went good. I'm not. Um, I'm actually starting um, with a young Japanese player the next three weeks. Um, so um, that's going to be interesting. But uh, um, Portland's normally one of my favourite favourite stops of the year. But uh, they've had some terrible wild wildfires up here and. Um, um, they didn't allow anybody on the golf course today because of all the smoke. So uh, hopefully that uh, that clears up over the next few days. You've been a familiar face around Australian golf for for quite a while now, and I think most notably for a lot of people as as Kari Webb's caddy. Uh, you must think fondly of Australia and all your connections with the country. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep, um, I've always had a um, connection with Australian Australian golf. Um, obviously, my wife Tanya um, used to play. Um, play golf with Kari. She grew up re- representing Australia with uh, with Kari, and then um, 15 years with Kari, and seeing um, all the young Aussies come through, like um, like obviously Stace, and then um, you know laterally the Minjis and the the Hannah Greens and people like that, and the Suos. It's uh, it's been great to watch all the all the young Aussies coming through. Um, I still uh, still look very uh, very fondly on the Australians. You, you took some time away from the LPGA tour. Uh, for a couple of years, do you look back fondly on that time, or are you glad you're back with the women again? No, no, no. It was great. Um, I went to. Um, I had two years, or about a year and a half, actually. I went to. I went to work for John Sendon um, on the PGA Tour, um, which was a a great experience for me. It was something I'd always kind of, of looked at, um, but unfortunately, around about that time was when John's um, son Jacob became became quite ill. Um, and John had to take a long-term leave of absence from the tour, so um, that kind of left things open for me a little bit. Um, uh, fortunately, Jacob's doing a lot better nowadays, but um, uh, it gave me... Um, I, I, I still kind of bounced around the PGA Tour for, for a little while after that. I carried for KJ Choi for a while, um, and then had an opportunity with Soyon Ru, who um, I came back to, to caddy for her in the LPGA, and I've been basically working for her um, ever since, so... Uh, it's nice to be back in the LPGA. I always uh, always feel pretty comfortable out there. So, yeah, good, Mikey. And I guess it, uh, yeah, probably what most people want to hear about this week is about your week at the ANA with uh, Gabby, and probably talk about the week as a whole. But you know what what you yeah. see in Gabby. What what do you think about Gabby? Uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was great. Um, I was looking forward to the week um, immediately when. When you and I started talking, Stace, about um, about this maybe maybe happening, um, Soyon had um, kind of decided that she was going to stay in Korea for a little bit longer um, during the, the the pandemic situation. And uh, I was looking for a couple of jobs here and there. And um, fortunately for me, there was opportunity with Gabby um, to do this uh, 
to do well last week at A and A, uh, and no, it was great. Um, it was really um, quite refreshing for me to to be on the golf course with somebody who um, you know wanted to learn about the course. I'd spent, I think, I did fifteen A and As for Kari, um, so <laughs> and then I went um, and did uh, I'd, I'd done two for Soyon um, out there, and uh, you know they were players who knew the golf course like the back of their hands and Soyon was defending the first year I carried for it there and um, you never really talk about lines off tees or where to miss certain greens or flags where you have to steer away from you know there was never any opportunity to talk to them about it because they just knew um, you know and it was it was really nice for me to kind of you know help Gabby out perhaps with um, uh, with learning about the golf course and it was uh, it, like I said it was quite refreshing so, so what did you see in her game that, that sort of appealed to the way you do your job, Mikey? Um, I mean, she's just generally very, very solid. I mean, drives it, drives it well. Um, irons are good, and you know, her putting, putting is absolutely outstanding. I mean, it's uh, absolutely outstanding, and her just her whole routine um, is very, very professional, um, as if she's been around forever, um, especially on the greens. Um, you know, very, uh, very efficient in the way she, she reads screens and um, very efficient in the time she takes. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was great to watch once the, tour- once the tournament started. But um, it was also interesting to, for me to kind of watch her trying to learn, um, not, not purely from me, but from, um, you know, we had a practice round with um, Hannah and Sue oh, on, on the Tuesday and then uh, the Corda sisters, Jess and... Um, Nelly on the Wednesday um, and I was just kind of watching how Gabby without taking notes or anything like that was just really watching how they practiced where they chipped from um, how they putted to certain pins um, but still kind of being involved in her management of of getting the ball onto the green so um, it was really good for me to to see that from her as well that she was just absorbing everything that uh, that happened that week yeah, that was actually a question I wanted to ask you, Mikey, and you've pretty you've said it about five times in the last few minutes there about Gabby wanting to learn. Like to me, you know, me in my job and that it's so I feel it's so refreshing when people just try and bleed you dry of information. And <laughs> yeah. you know, we saw it we saw it at the British Open with Gab as well. You know, she she misses the gut, but what does she want to do on the Saturday? Like go out and watch golf because I need to learn how yeah. to get better at this style golf. Mm, you know? Yeah. And so I guess my question was going to be to you, you know, about that's obviously something you saw last week. Um, yeah. What about the information that she's trying to get from you, Mikey, or what are some areas that you felt that you probably helped her the most with or guided her with or, you know, was she kind of like that with you as well? Um, it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, she's quite um, – she's a very calm person, so she, there was never any um, – you know, we – we kind of got in contention at a few times at certain points during the week and there was never really any change in her demeanor or, um, or anything like that. And, um, you know, that was, that was great to see. And also, um, you know, just, I didn't feel, it never felt like she was constantly trying to get information from me or learn from me. It was just, just general conversation, you know, just general chat. And, um, she'd ask me the odd question here or there, um, you know, about, you know, life on tour or, um, you know, what certain yep. players do or what we do as caddies or, um, 
you know, it was never a a lot of, you know, a lot of serious questions. It was just very much, um, you know, subtle things here and there. And um, you could just see her absorbing all that. Um, yeah. It's very interesting to see. I think she really does. She's just soaking everything in. Yeah. 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 I do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So Mikey, it, was, it was very good to see. Mikey, we, uh, we don't take any prisoners with our own here on Inside the Ropes. We often give Stace a bit of an uppercut, but uh, I really think this is your Quite chance. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We've got to keep her on, a, on, you know, on the straight and narrow. But this is your chance <laughs> to give uh, Luke Mackey a bit of a backhander because did you have to unpick any of the damage that he might have done on the bag at Royal Troon? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, unfortunately, I managed to get that taken care of by Wednesday. Um, so... So by Thursday, her mind was fresh and she was ready to go. And I, again, I think she was uh, cleansed, maybe, is the best way of putting it, I suppose. <laughs> in, in, in all seriousness, can you can you believe, um, having seen her firsthand like that now for the first time, um, that she was basically a tennis player five years ago? Is that sort of no. difficult to comprehend? No, no, no. Because, I mean, I, it, it was very hard for me to, to comprehend because, you know, having struggled at golf, you know, my whole life trying to play the game, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable that somebody can become that good in such a short period of time and, um, and just have such a mature attitude about, about the sport. But, um, I mean, I'm sure tennis and her, um, background in tennis has probably helped with, mm. with golf and that, you know, she, you know, she, she watched it. She's got professional parents, professional sports person's parents and, and as a brother and, and, you know, she's kind of seen all that and, um, you know, that's probably given her a little bit of a head start, but, um, you know, the, it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't give you talent. <laughs> um, and she's obviously got, got plenty of that. Um, and like I said, I think it's, I don't think it's just her, her willingness to, or her, her, her will to learn. I think it's the way she kind of absorbs it in a very, very calm and collected way, I suppose is the best way of putting it. It's, uh, it's good to see. Can I just ask one question before Stacey perhaps wraps it up? Um, you, you mentioned you played with Hannah and Sue, and we saw uh, Seth Kiriakou do so well in Switzerland at the yep. weekend on the LET. And obviously, Kari's been a massive influence, and, and Minji is always around the traps mm-hmm. as well. Do you sense from your perspective that there's a bit of a, an Aussie click starting to really form here and that they could push each other through in the next 5, 10, 15 years? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And no doubt about that. And it's, um, it's good to see, I mean, you know, talking to Gary at the weekend, you know, she mentioned to me about how Steph Kiriakou had done in uh, Switzerland, right? I think Mm -hmm. the European tour event, how well she'd played. And, you know, it's good to see her acknowledging that. And I mean, I know they're friends, but just, you know, it's, I think they're, they're going to continue to push each other along. Um, and all these girls coming through, we're going to see their friends, um, doing well i mean i i carried for grace kim uh i think year before last at the at the big open and she's another one that's probably going to start showing her face fairly soon in, in in the ranks and um you know she'll see how gabby's done and she'll see how steph's done and also in the future um kind of hannah and minji and sue you know at that next kind of level and you know even you know Catherine kirk who's been around a lot longer she's getting herself in contention a lot of times nowadays. And um, I think it's something that the, that the young girls um, coming out of the golf Australia program are going to see. And um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's definitely going to push them along. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, no, it's great to see and great feedback from you, Mikey. So um, thank you very much for coming on the show today, Mikey, and we hope that we're able to get you on. uh, (laughs) Hope to get you on down the track as well and keep you involved uh, with these Aussies, okay? We better tell So Young that uh, she's in trouble, okay? (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Thanks a lot for having me. Mikey Patterson there joining us inside the ropes. Andy, uh, that's a a pretty special story to be able to tell like that, isn't it? Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Well, it's been a big show. We're just about done and dusted. Um, Hazy, you mentioned off the top or at the end of the first segment the news about the PGA. So we're, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, so most of you will be aware of this news. By the time you're listening to the radio show or the podcast, what's the, um, what's the, what's the, de- the devil of the detail? Yes, unfortunately, and it's just a victim of COVID-19 and not so much in terms of the Royal Queensland Golf Club being able to host the event, but rather uh, the logistics of getting a field together mm-hmm. with the quarantine rules that would inevitably be imposed uh, on the Australian PGA Championship. So in concert with the Queensland government and all the other stakeholders and particularly Royal Queensland, the, the Australian PGA this morning is... Um, put a line through it on that early December date and moved it out to the middle of February. Uh, I understand, Andy, that they're hopeful of getting it to sit alongside the Australian Open. Um, That would be ideal case um, for Australian golf, I believe, Um, especially if both could sit on the European Tour and we could get a swing down here. But realistically, if we're being fair income about this, um, the ability for Australia to attract any golfers, including some of our own Australian players who are based overseas for the majority of the year, is very much dependent upon the quarantine restrictions and the rules that are going to be in play once they get to Australia, um, not only at Brisbane for Royal Queensland, but let's just for argument's sake say the, the Australian Open continues at um, Kingston Heath what will be the arrangements between Queensland and Victoria at that stage yeah, to uh, yeah. make sure that happens uh, without any additional burdens on players and officials, etc. So there's a lot to play out here. Um, very hopeful at the PJ. We, I, Royal Queensland's a fantastic course. Um, we saw it in the Australian Amateur uh, this year past, or this year now. Um, you know, it's 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 really fun course to, to walk, play, to spectate, um, be a pity not to see it so hopefully we get to see it in february uh, and hopefully as part of a swing but for right now everything's very much up in the air uh, the australian open was obviously postponed from november at kingston heath as it stands uh, golf australia is working with all its partners to try and get it up and running in the window between late january and early march so logic would tell you that if that were to happen it would be on either side of the week that the pga is announced um, today um, whether we can get it over the line, I, I, I have not the vaguest idea, Andy, whether that's possible right now. Oh, I who can tell? Does. Who knows? Who knows, mate? So um, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world, and golf's not immune to any of that right now, uh, particularly here. Okay, so we'll watch this space regarding both of those tournaments, but that's big news regarding the um, the Australian PGA Championship. Uh, the webinar series continue to roll on uh, with our great mate. What's going on? Well, another one this week from a different member of my uh, okay. marketing communications, not my team, I'm just a humble member of it, but John Sutherland's team is just cranking out the webinars for uh, all those involved at club and facilities around Australia. 
Uh, and this week we want to let listeners know, Andy, if, uh, if they're involved as staff or committee members at clubs around the country, Golf Australia's campaigns and data manager, the magnificent Monica Din, she's running a special webinar titled Email Marketing and Database Management Essentials on the 24th of September, which is uh, Thursday week, I believe, at 11am. Now, Monica is the guru of these things uh, and will provide some valuable teachings no matter what level of skill you think you've got around this stuff. And the webinar is open to all clubs and facilities around the country. So to register, head to www.golf.org.au forward slash webinars. Uh, we've done a whole series of different things to help clubs out in the past couple of months, Andy. Um, Justin Falcon is amazing work with videos of gibbered on about podcasts has been uh, a handful of others as well and monica is a, a legend i'm not going to say that this is the most salacious topic that she's tackling here andy but she is a legitimate guru who can help your club hey, it's the stuff that you need to know hazy to make the thing work as well as it can possibly work so it's vitally important um Right, so that's that. We'll finish on it. Uh, there's a lot to look forward to this weekend. It's uh, strap yourself in time for the US Open. Uh, she will be a grind. Uh, good luck to all. Uh, thanks to the boys who came on today to have a chat with us. We appreciate it all. See you next week. Perfect, Murray. Thanks. Good on you. Mark Hayes joining us. Thanks for being part of it. Inside the Ropes, episode number 181, done and dusted. See you next time.